everyone. This is Utano Public Health Chats with your host Fiona. And today uh, I'm excited to host um, another Zimbabwean. <laughs> so I feel like I'm still staying biased and also another Twitter connection, <laughs> which is also like shout out to Twitter for making it easier for me to find people who would want to join the platform. Um, but I'll let my guests introduce herself uh, and tell us a little bit about herself. So, uh, Crystal, you can go ahead. Thank you very much, Fiona, for this opportunity, for this platform. I'm very much excited to be here, especially having listened to a couple of the other guests that you've had on this show. So it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so just to start off, my name is Crystal Bonzo. I am 26 years old and I am the founder of Zizo Safe Pet Initiative, which is something I want to get into um, later on in this um, discussion. But pretty much my background is in um, sexual reproductive health and rights, more on the programming aspect of it, as well as the adv- advocacy part. Um, I have a Bachelor of Social Science from the University of Cape Town, where I was uh, majoring in gender studies, politics and history, and currently Currently, as part of my work with Zizo, I'm also the Hair Voice Fund Ambassador for Zimbabwe under the Global Fund, where my role essentially is to promote the meaningful engagement of adults and girls and young women in HIV and SRHR policymaking and activities around the country. Thank you. That's that's amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for being here and thank you for sharing um, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, SRHR is pretty cool. I'm also really interested in sexual and reproductive health and rights, especially for young girls and women. So maybe let's start with like, it's also really cool that today we also have another social science background, which I think uh, has been lacking in our previous episodes. So it's always great to diversify the kind of backgrounds so that people can see that you can work in public health slash global health um, from different backgrounds. Um, but before we dig deep into, like you mentioned, your Zizo initiative, um, you mentioned her voice and the Global Fund like um, ambassador thing that you're doing. Can we maybe take a step back and hear from you, from you where this journey started for you? So like at what point, like have you always wanted to do the work that you're doing now? What motivated you to start um, to say, I want to work in sexual uh, and reproductive health and rights? Okay, so to answer the first part of your question, I actually did want to work in health. I remember growing up, um, I think as young as like eight, nine there, I wanted to be a doctor, but I was so scared of having to deal with uh, people's lives. Like, you know, generally doctors, when they say their life is in your hands. So that always used to freak me out. So at that point, I decided to choose the alternative. And I said, I wanted to become a pathology, uh, forensic pathologist. So that was always my dream growing up younger. And unfortunately, I did not excel in my maths at um, IGSE, that's um, Cambridge O-Level Examinations. So then I had to divert to the arts and that's how I got into social science. So at that point for me, really working in health was something that I never really thought I would get back into. Until then, after I graduated, there was an opportunity for me to work with the local um, NGO. And it just so happened this was during COVID, then there was a lot of advocacy and issues around uh, mental health uh, in response to COVID-19, but working with um, key populations and, you know, being in Zimbabwe with a lot of anti-key um, populations policies that we have, no one really wanted to pick up um, 
that part of the of the project. So I really attribute my time and exposure in Cape Town as well as my gender studies background um, because of that experience, I was very keen to pick that up. So that's how I got into sexual reproductive health and rights, because from then, um, every other portfolio that had to then um, deal with issues around key populations, um, I was the one that was assigned into it. So eventually, now looking back, it was more like a full circle moment, because now I'm working um, in sexual reproductive health and rights, and it's still in the health space. And now, as I mentioned, um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I'm also like pursuing a master's in public health, because I want to amplify both the work that I do um, in the sexual reproductive health health space as an advocate, as well as a programmer, as well as the work that I'm currently doing with Zizo SafePad. So that's how I got into um, public health. That's amazing. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, that's a common, that's been a common theme on the show so far of people starting out uh, with some kind of interest, whether it's like specifically to be a doctor, like you said, or just being interested in the health field in general. <laughs> and I definitely feel like I've had conversations even outside of podcasts, the podcast, like with people who also are like, oh, no, this is too much responsibility. I'm going to look at <laughs> pathology or something that they feel like would not <laughs> be so much pressure. And yeah. then, but it's really cool how like, I guess in a way you'd kind of like almost kind of put that on the side and yet followed your path in like gender studies, right? Because that's what ended up you ended up doing for your bachelor's. And then that, like you say, brought you back to your initial um, yeah. interest in health, um, which is really cool. And one of the key things I always like to highlight with public health is that you can bring different like backgrounds and trainings and skill sets. And those are all very applicable. Okay, that's pretty amazing. And can we maybe talk a little bit about the master's program that you said you are starting? Uh, what will you be studying and how did you decide to do it an MPH? And why did you decide to do it like with the institution and program that you're doing it with? Okay. So in my line of work as, as an SRHR advocate, it's essentially trying to find better programming initiatives that have the most um, impact, but also that can be done on a large scale. So it it really needs to, to, for you to be successful in that space and not just be um, a social media advocate, let's just say. You need to know the ins of out, um, you know, not just the situation at hand, whether it's trying, if it's trying to reduce early um, unwanted teenage pregnancies, you also get to know like you're forced to know deeper about um, the community that you are trying to help solve the situation so you, you a lot of things come in to play um, the psychology the the social issues um, the food they're eating the economic status and it's it branches out like that. So I noted that as compared to the other counterparts, other people working in the same space, um, those who are really excelling, those who are actually really creating, um, innovating, mind-blowing initiatives to curb um, HIV and early and unintended pregnancies amongst young people are people who actually took it a notch further to study public health because they saw the essence that it came with. And also just the Zimbabwean space as well. Um, people here are very much about the academics and 
and uh, in most instances, employment-wise, um, if you want to go up the ranks, if you don't have a master's, um, in, let's say if you don't have a master's in public health or development studies, it's really difficult to then supplement your years of experience. So that was another push f- factor for me, um, just to get that share of big responsibility in the work that I do and letting know, letting the people that I'm, you know, working for, the communities that I'm serving, that you know, I'm actually standing in front of them with the uh, accreditation that is required for me to be able to assist in innovative solutions to help and promote healthier life choices. So that was really the main reason why I had to then pursue a master's in public health. But I must say it was difficult. <laughs> it was difficult, um, that transition from, um, you know, social sciences and then wanting to get into the health space because half the time, you know, you need to have a very strong GPA, uh, you need mm-hmm. to have significant experience. So I spent about a year, almost a year and a half, just trying to get um, accepted into a master's program. And for me, I wanted the online option because I wanted that flexibility of able to be able to gain experience, real life experience whilst working and also be in the classroom with like diverse people from different parts of the world. I think it makes for great cross pollination of ideas. So I wanted it to work in my favor that way. So that is I'm in class. I'm also aware of what's happening on the ground. I just thought it would make sense that way. Um, So it was tough. Um, a lot of rejections um, and also just streamlining because public health um. It wasn't really offered online. Uh, many institutions would actually prefer you to be there on site. Um, so it was very difficult for me to penetrate that space. But eventually I managed to get in and I'm excited, but a bit nervous as well, because you can already tell like you are in a space with very much accomplished people in their field. Um, some are doctors, um, some are like uh, people who studied nursing, trying to also get into that field as well. Some are also trying to get into leadership in public health. So it's a diverse classroom setup. Um, but I'm really grateful for the actual opportunity to be able to get into that space. And I didn't apply um, on my own, by the way. I, I, I worked with an agent based here in Harare who was able to, you know, help me get into an institution because on my own, I, I had seen flames. <laughs> no, but like, congratulations for persevering and like starting. And I don't know, I feel like you have what it takes, you know, because like, yes, it might have taken a while where you had to work pretty hard to get into the space but like you said if you're in the same classroom as these accomplished people that's because you're also accomplished and like you've already done this work for yourself that's led you to this place so I think that's pretty cool and amazing and an achievement in its own so would you will you be um I might have missed this but will you be working while doing this online program right so it's like is it, I guess not so much as it part-time or full-time but like you will continue your programming work that you mentioned while pursuing this master's right Yes, I will. Okay, that's pretty cool. And between your, when you graduated for your bachelor's to now you're starting, how many years has it been? Um, So 2019. Oh, 2019. So about three, okay. four years, yeah. yeah. Okay, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, so you've worked for three, four years. Um, So I just wanted to talk about that piece a little bit. So when you finished your bachelor's and then you got this role, so you're saying be working in the health space is what then led you to think okay my next logical step in my career while working is getting this accreditation getting this training in the master's program and then decided that it, it would be public health because of the nature of the work that you were doing and like 
like you said, people who were senior to you, what they were doing and what you saw, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's pretty cool. Okay, so it's not like, I guess what I'm trying to get is, it's like, it wasn't, you didn't pre-plan this, right? <laughs> like, when you no. go back, it's like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, right? No, I I didn't pre-plan it. I remember after graduation in 2019, um, I came back home and, you know, the expectation is to get a job. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's where, like, um, the danger, I guess, we come with social science, especially in my case, because here I was having majored in gender studies, in politics and history, mm -hmm. and now trying to narrow it down to say, okay, what exactly do I want to focus on? Do I want to get into um, the political space? Do I want to get exclusively into the gender space? Do I get in, want to get into academia? So it was a it was a lot of uh, um, you know deliberations and trying to see where I can fit in. And unfortunately, again, being in the Zim, not so many options, you know. So yeah. it's more like take what you can, what what you can. So that experience also just really opened up and prepared me for what I wanted to do for post-grad. And I wanted it to be very specific and very deliberate into what I want to do in the future, as opposed to just doing a, a postgraduate degree that just is, again, overgeneralized, because I had seen how difficult it is to then try and find your footing when it's like that. So that's why I was like, I want to do public health and I want to focus on um, community health. That's what I want to focus on. So that's how it happened. It wasn't all planned, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> no, that's great. I think that that's also true for a lot of people, right? It's not, I feel like I'm one of the few <laughs> people who's like always like a little bit too much <laughs> in terms of like, I definitely, I mean, I ended up for a lot of things I wasn't intentional, kind of like fell on my lap. I agree with you with this idea of like, especially coming out of your bachelor's. I do think a lot yeah. of young people, we, you kind of like, either go into your first degree program, right, with an idea of what you think you're going to do, right? And yeah. then you go through the program, whether it's a three-year, four-year program, whether you do your honors, wherever it is, right? And you finish. And then for multiple reasons, like you said, whether it's like the economy or the country you're based or um, just like current trends and things like that, or even just your actual experience with the degree program, you might actually be like, ah, oh, actually, I don't like doing this. <laughs> and then, but you've yeah. now <laughs> gotten the degree and then you're like, yeah. like a crossroads way of trying to figure out like what's next. And it's pretty cool that you were able to like narrow it down, like you said, from the gender politics and history to then say, okay, what's in front of me? And like, this is what I kind of like, and this is what's available for me right now. And you kind of like went for it. I think that's pretty cool. And also, I, I would think useful for people to hear that sometimes, you know, even if you make plans, sometimes life makes plans yeah. for you. <laughs> exactly. Life makes right? plans for you. You just have to get on with the program. Right. You kind of go with the flow and just, you know, where possible um, at each decision point, kind of like make the, you know, the most best informed choices that you can make, right? Like you're, you're describing mm -hmm. your decision to now. Um, focus on the MPH, um, which I think is all pretty cool. Okay, so now you, now we've like caught up with Crystal. Now you're doing your MPH, you're starting, and you're continuing continuing your uh, programming work. Can we talk a little bit about that? So, mm -hmm. what does your programming work look like? Um, you mentioned like leaning into the gender piece. Can you uh, maybe like talk about that a little bit around like how that gender piece ties into? I know you've talked about it a little bit before but maybe if you could walk the audience through like what that looks like either on a day-to-day -day 
or maybe like a typical week or typical month for you in the work that you do? Okay. Uh, so I'm fortunate enough to be working two jobs, but I'm also extra, extra fortunate because uh -huh. one of them is remote. <laughs> oh, so there's a, yeah, there's a bit of flexibility uh, around that. So pretty much my day starts off around nine, not too early. I'm not a morning person. Um, nine, um, just to do admin work, setting up emails, communication over emails, setting up meetings for the week or the day and things of that sort. But any admin work, I try to do it in the morning because that's when most people are really active and stuff like that. And then later on in the day, I sort of have to divide my time as to what I'm going to focus on for each part of the day. So the first part of my day, I like to work on Zizo SafePad, which is an initiative that I started in March. And essentially, Zizo is there to sort of eradicate menstrual inequalities that are present in Zimbabwe currently amongst adults and girls who live in vulnerable communities. And we do this by going out to peri-urban areas as well as rural areas and train um, girls on how to make their own reusable pads as well as conduct menstrual health and hygiene dialogues just to do away with a lot of stigma that comes with girls being on their periods and missing school and just to try and keep them safe on how best they can take care of themselves when it's that time of the month. So that's um, what Dido is all about. Uh, we're a team of five, um, all volunteers that are very dedicated to seeing uh, menstrual equity in our communities um, so that girls don't have to miss school or turn to alternative um, substitutes that will have that will harm their reproductive health in the future. So I do most of that part of the work in the morning to the afternoon because, again, in the Zimbabwean space, that's when most people are active, whether it's looking for the next school to go to, uh, whether it's going through a proposal, um, whether it's also trying to post on social media to, just to raise awareness, um, connecting with other menstrual champions who are currently working here in Zimbabwe. Um, so it's, again, it's a bit on the slow side because it just started but it's just about finding where we can go next, um, the logistics around it, what's needed, and when we can go actually. And then on the second part of the day, I focus on my role as Her Voice Ambassador through the Global Fund, where I'm supposed to actively put what Her Voice Fund is doing in Zimbabwe uh, through the work of our grantees in trying to get access that are inclusive and youth-friendly to adults and girls and young women. So this I do through um, connecting with the grantees that um, I oversee in the country, trying to see what activities that they have that week, that day, if I can make it or not, how best I can support them. They need help with like facilitation of training around advocacy, uh, monitoring, monitoring and evaluation. If there are any site visits that I need to do any reportings any meetings again because um, her voice fund is through the global fund based in the netherlands so a lot of the meetings are online also just trying to schedule that so it's a it's a busy uh first part of the day up until the afternoon yeah. and then it winds down and then it winds down around four ish and yeah that's just how my day concludes but um i'm also actively active at night i'm a night bird and that's when then i'm trying to do my academics i'm trying to see what i need to read um what's happening in the world okay try to get a glimpse of what's currently happening in zoom like the paper and stuff like that and just to catch on with the rest of the world but mainly my evenings are for the academic part um a few online courses that i also do online mm -hmm. um just to make sure that i'm all with what's currently happening from a global perspective so 
sounds boring <laughs> so that's no, why i'm so excited it like it's a lot. <laughs> and it's like oh wow you've got a lot you must have a lot it of management skills i'm like listening i'm like yeah for some parts of it I, I kind of like relate the part where you say like you start your mornings like i do feel like especially my monday mornings are always mm-hmm. swallowed by like catching up on emails um and also kind of like you said like scheduling the rest of the week and like mapping out what how the day and the week are gonna go so that's very similar I'm also not a morning person that's a day later and also tend to like work in like into later into the day as well I'm a night owl um but that's pretty cool that you're able to juggle both (laughs) and uh the work you're doing with Zizo sounds pretty cool so like um, maybe let's talk a little bit more about the um, that initiative. So you said you're a team of five and you're yes. all volunteers. So where do you get, um, so you said you do education. So you're not, there is no product that you're either donating or. Oh. Um, so we conduct the trainings. So uh-huh. after the training, so each individual, um, each girl present for that training and the teachers has the opportunity to actually make a pad from mm. scratch. Mm-hmm. Finished product, and then afterwards, we then distribute the reusable pads that we would have made on our own, um, using like a a machine, and then we distribute those to the girls as well as a training manual, just in case, um, you know, the teachers want to go through the training again with the girls, or the girls maybe have follow up questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just give those teachers so that just in case they can also be prepared on how best to respond and what to actually um tell the girls on how best they can take care of themselves during menstruation. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So you are the ones who make these pads. You said, yeah, I get the part now about like the training and then they get this, they learn the school of how to make for their own and then they go home with those ones. And you say there's the training manual that the teachers can stay with. But you also mentioned giving them also other reusable. So are those ones, are you the guys, the ones making these or do you get them from somebody else who makes them? Yes. Wow. So, so when do you yeah. make those? When do you have time? <laughs> okay. Um, so again, like I said, it's a team of volunteers and mm. I really found I like process. I love okay. process. Um, so I really found it's easier to get the work done if you break it down into smaller mm-hmm. pieces and then each person knows what they're supposed to do for the final product to come out. So um, um sometimes when we have time during the weekends we just come together, do okay. a few just to refresh so that when we go and train we know exactly yeah. what we're supposed mm-hmm. to do. Um and then um to be honest, because of my schedule, I'm more of like the runner <laughs> to say. So I'm mm-hmm. out um for the materials, the different type of cloths, um, the fasteners, the needles, the threads, the stationery to be used um, so that the next person has that and then they're cutting and then the next person is cutting based according to the measurements that we need them. And then they pass on that to the next person who then now then does the sewing. So it's basically a team effort where everyone is doing their part to contribute to the development of the final product. Wow, that's pretty cool. It's basically like manufacturing. <laughs> that's a yeah. whole skill set. I hope you definitely put this on your resume and everything because that's amazing. And sounds like even with like your teammates, um, it's pretty cool that you have that many people that you are working with. And like my other question was on, so you said you use cloth and then there's need to sew it up. You mentioned fasteners. 
Okay, let's not get too technical, maybe, but I just wanted mm -hmm. to hear about, because I have so many questions about the pads, but maybe I'll talk okay. to you offline. But I wanted to also learn about um, where do you get, like, the funding to do this kind of work or to buy those things? I understand you said you're volunteers at this point. Mm -hmm. but I was wondering for the actual, um, like, stationery that you mentioned uh, and all of that, how do you, how is this project funded, I guess? Okay, so uh, like I mentioned, we started in March and mm -hmm. we're very fortunate enough to get funding from Global Change Makers. Uh, we applied, just Ooh. blindly just going at it, you know. Um, so we just applied for the grant. It was a small grant and we said, this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. And this is what we want to achieve. And they were happy with the, our idea and then they funded us. So that's how we managed to get them like the assets of the project which is basically like your stationaries um your needles your pencils rulers paper markers mm -hmm. everything that's like stationary related that's how we managed to to buy those and our target was to train at least 50 kids for each session so we basically have like 55 plus of everything just in case it also gets lost and mm -hmm. on on top of that we we've it's it's been amazing fiona i won't lie um mm -hmm. that the buying from the people around us especially like family members and friends because it's it's a whole village it takes a whole village mm -hmm. so sometimes you have a wall wisher who say oh you're going for a training um okay this is like 20 dollars. can you buy refreshments um for the girls that you're going to train or the next person will say okay um next time when you guys are buying your fabrics um here's the money for the fabrics or here's money for fuel and so it's like small yeah. things like that uh, or someone can say oh you want your manuals printed i've got a print tight work let me print for you so it's yeah another person is a i'm a designer like i do graphics let me do like a, a banner a poster for you so it's been really like um a, a village really just people who just really believe in the work that we're trying to do as a small group and just yeah, a lot of help. That's what I can tell you. So that's what's been sustaining us. Um, well wishes who donate in cash and kind, as well as um, global change makers. Wow, that's and you know what? Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's actually, because, <laughs> you know, it's actually so interesting because when we do our calculation, when we, when we actually did our calculations, we realized that all the costing, it costs 50 cents to make a reusable wow. pants. So... Literally, with $100, we can conduct a training for 50 girls, inclusive of um, the transport, the refreshments, the printing of the manuals, like everything. So it's not exactly like a lot of money that is required right. okay. to, mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that's one of the beautiful things about working uh, with reusable pads is like a little really goes a long way. And that's how we've been able to sort of like do the work that we do because we don't really require much Wow, that's pretty cool. Wow. Um, yeah, I have so many. Yeah, but it's good to hear you mentioned that like you have support, like additional support. You've mentioned the global change. You say global change makers. I've never heard of them. Global change like, makers. Yeah. So do they give like is it like a competition and then they give out like one once off funding or do they like support people who come up like what happens after like that initial funding? Is it like do you also get like support and things like that? I'm just curious for other people. Who might other people. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually a pretty cool uh program, especially uh if, if you are 
someone who wants to do um, positive change in in the in the community. Uh, and the process really works like this. Um, so it's global change makers. Um, they are an international organization that supports youth initiatives, especially our young people who are either you know have small in it small organizations that don't really receive funding or you're an individual just trying to do something great in the community. So on their website, uh, they have what they call like their project management course, where if you take that course and you pass that course with all the trainings, attending all the, le- the online lectures and the modules, if you pass, you then qualify to be able to apply for a grant, a small grant. So now it's, I think they're just trying to make sure that you know the basics of project management before they can actually like, you know. So after that, you apply and then some make it, some don't. <laughs> um, but then when you apply, if you make it, then they bring forth the funding and then they say, okay, your proposal, this is how much we're going to give you. But it's more like a once-off. Uh, and I think the benefits of doing this program with them is that networking with other change makers around the world uh, so i know like through this program i've, I've connected with other uh, menstrual health activists who are working in zambia doing the same thing so sort of like create your own little network of people that you can learn from lean on and get ideas and inspiration from as well as the visibility of them then showcasing um, their work since they are on a much more larger global platform i think that's also an opportunity to get buy-in from other people who n- not necessarily are affiliated with global change makers wow that's pretty cool that they even make you train and like and do all of that and the, the plus of like the networking as well and being other mm-hmm. connected with other people doing similar work well i'm definitely going to check them out and we'll definitely put them in the episode notes as well um and it's pretty it's nice the way you broke it down to say that each individual pad will cost 50 cents um yeah and that it, you say there's a hundred dollars hundred us dollars to train yeah more than enough yeah Wow. So like typically how long does a pad like that last once you make it? I'm just also thinking. So with good care, um, and when I say good care, I mean like um, not wearing it for more than eight hours Mm. um, and then washing it. um, First, you have to put it in cold water and then for a couple of minutes just to get the blood out of the absorbent cloth. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, you wash with soap thoroughly. And then if you hang it out to dry uh, properly, preferably with somewhere where there's light Mm -hmm. um, so that it completely dries if you do that it can last you a good one and one one and a half to two years so oh, that's the lifeline of yeah, like a reusable if, if it's used properly <laughs> right if used properly and with the the care yeah. instructions that you mentioned and it's good that you also mentioned that there's a manual that you guys provided and you said that mm-hmm. the you've received feedback from these schools that you visited right that they're finding this useful and helpful right um for the, yes. the students that they were <laughs> That's pretty yeah. cool. I it, guess it, like, it my M&E cool. mind is already thinking about like doing it in the <laughs> process evaluation and trying to figure out, oh, that's something you could do for like your master's um, thesis or something. You could do like a, mm-hmm. to kind of see what the outcomes and the impact. That's why I was also asking like, how long does a pad last? And like, but now even if the, like the initial pad runs its course, right, they yeah. now also have the skill and can make it for themselves, which is great. Yeah that's I think that's like the best part of 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 the program because you're not just um telling someone about what menstruation is what are the different type of menstruation products available 
but you're also equipping them with those tailoring skills, you know, because you never know, you know. And the best feedback I've received so far is like some of the girls saying that they can't wait to teach their cousins that are at home on how to, because they enjoy it. So that's mm-hmm. always usually my favorite session when we're now sewing and you're interacting with the girls. Mm-hmm. Some are saying, oh my gosh, I need to start a business. Can you employ me? Like the excitement is there, you know, they, you can see that they really feel empowered to to be agents of their own change in their lives. And it's really uplifting, you know, to see that change immediately, like as you're doing the project, that someone is really inspired to want to be able to teach the next person who probably couldn't be there for that for that session. So it's always really heartwarming. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And now I'm like, oh, I want to go too. <laughs> do the work <laughs> no I'll definitely follow up with you on that just um to maybe just go and support as well but I also wanted to hear one last question about this and then we'll move on I promise clearly I'm very interested in this but I also just wanted to hear how you decide which schools to pay uh so we choose the schools that are available that's number one and it hasn't been an easy process um because the schools that we try to target are peri-urban areas so Epworth, Norton, mm-hmm. um, just sort of just outside of Harare I think for that reason it's because we just recently started and we just wanted to make sure that before we even go as far as you know right. we want to be able to know what's happening in our mm-hmm. immediate uh, communities and also that proximity works well with the with the volunteers because again they have other commitments that they need to be um doing as well so instead of having someone be out in the field of the whole day you can probably have four hours of their day and then they do their volunteer work and then they're back to whatever other activities that they have an obligation to participate in um and i think also there's, there's not there's not a set criteria it's all about which school is most forthcoming to 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 receive us so you reach uh, out and then okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah reach out but mainly it's been through word of mouth um and i appreciate the value of networking so much um because because of the nature of where the schools are um administratively they're not that strong so um some of them don't even have you know um email um mm-hmm. email addresses you know so you have to do the old school way you have to call and then luckily whatsapp you can then send your request later on whatsapp to the head teacher and then the head teacher to the headmaster and the headmaster says okay they can come and then so it's it's a longer process unfortunately but it's i think you know we want to do the work we love doing the work that we do so i think that drive just pushes us to just be proactive and not wait to have schools come to us, but we rather say, okay, this is what we want to do. Can you allow us to do it? And then we just work within the parameters that they give us as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so it's really about like collaboration and like who's able, yeah. to, who's willing and able to work with you. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's about you said old school calling. Yes, old school calling. I mean, yeah. yeah in the digital cool. age, you know, we're just so used to email, you know, right. like yeah. email and but now you just have to put in that airtime credit and call and say your story. Right. And that is um public health at its core, right? It's like you meet mm-hmm. the publications you're trying to serve where they are, right? Um yeah. and work with them within their context and parameters, like you say. No, that's pretty amazing. I've learned so much today. And I'm pretty sure other people who are listening will get to uh, learn as well about this project. Do you have a website, Instagram, or like any other social media pages that we can also share 
um, afterwards. Yeah, I do. So we are on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Okay. And do you have a platform yeah. where people can share donations as well, maybe online or maybe even if it's EcoCash for the Zim, Zimbabweans in Zim? For the Zimbabweans, um, we have an EcoCash number um, that we that we use, okay. but most people would like <laughs> just prefer to do cash but we have like a a, a functional um equi cash line that we can use for donations as well okay all right yeah so we'll definitely plug all that information at the end of the episode um in the episode notes so that people can be able to follow up if they want to support or maybe join you like me <laughs> yeah sessions as well um if time allows um no that's pretty cool and, and i can't wait to see uh what becomes of it especially as you also continue to grow in your career with your master's and kind of like use those skills even more in the work that you're doing that's pretty amazing and then you say, do you have another job? Wow, you are just, <laughs> you take a lot. Um, so we've spent a lot of time on the digital work, mm-hmm. but maybe for um, the other work with her voice, can you, uh, we've talked about a typical day. Uh, we've talked about why, you know, why you're doing that kind of work and why that matters to you. Can you talk about like, what's your favorite thing? I think for the digital initiative, you already mentioned that your favorite thing is like, it sounds like your favorite thing is working with the girls and getting to see them. Yeah. Um, yeah that's your favorite piece can you talk about for the other work as well what you like about that role and the things that you get to do there okay um for this role as an since it's like an ambassador role mm-hmm. does it have to be one because they're two <laughs> well my favorite favorite thing out of the two I guess it has to be having the access to high level meetings where decisions are literally made for adults and girls and young women, basically young women in terms of like um, sexual reproductive health and rights. So just being a young person in that room, uh, whether it's a national coordination meeting, country coordination meeting, technical working groups, just being present in those spaces and those in those areas. For me, it's my favorite thing because it's so empowering, um, empowering in the sense that as a young person, I'm there um, knowing how what the issues affecting my peers who probably can't be at the same seat as me. So I take that role with like really seriously mm-hmm. and try my to articulate things the way they are, not the way, you know, people want to hear them, you know, mm-hmm. just to, be, you know, look like, you know, things are being done when there's actually no progress on the ground. So I, I enjoy being in those spaces to, to speak out, to mm-hmm. voice, um, what's what's being done um, and what can be improved and how as young people we would want to receive health services you know and issues around that inclusivity yeah in Zimbabwe you know um, issues around with the age of consent um, mm-hmm. that's something you know that was just made on on behalf of young people but we have um, girls as, as early as 14 you know um having sexual intercourse but then they can't access you know reproductive health services of which it's their right because the right for health is a fundamental human right. So being in those spaces allows me to, I feel alive basically to, to fight for what I know is right, to fight for what I believe in, in terms of inclusivity, uh, when it comes to healthcare services, to, to, to speak out on issues that many other people in that space are not necessarily comfortable speaking on or talking about and just being present and executing my role in the most productive way possible. Um, I think that's my favorite thing to do because it's it's not every day, <laughs> you know, you you are talking to like, you know, the directors at National AIDS Council and you're trying to get a point across on you're actually telling them on how they can improve 
their services or how you would want to see them, you know, take a different route in terms of um, service delivery. So I think for me, that's my favorite part, being in those spaces and taking ownership of that space as a young person working in health. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. You're right. Um, I think it's worth taking seriously because you're right that these are the spaces where these kinds of um, decisions, important impactful decisions are being made, right, that will trickle down and affect uh, key populations on the ground. So would you so would you call this ambassador role like advocacy work? So it's both advocacy and influencing. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Just wanted to be clear because I have no <laughs> like background in advocacy and just wanted to be clear, like if somebody listening also like me would want to know, like, what's the difference if somebody said, oh, I want to be an advocate for this. Like, what does that actually look like or entail? So what you just described falls under advocacy as well, right? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it does. Okay. All right. That's cool. Yeah, man. I'm like, wow, you're really doing the work, <laughs> uh, which is pretty amazing. And maybe I guess based off of all the things you we've talked about so far, and now that you know you've been doing this kind of work for a while, and you are starting your public health training, how would you describe what um, public health means to you, or how would you define public health? I think in the in the in the age we're living, my definition of public health really centers on. Um, the education and promoting of healthy choices, whether it's how to take care of your mind, mindfulness, uh, or whether it's your health, what to eat, what not to eat, whether it's uh, prevention of services, or how to take care of yourself so that you don't um, contract certain diseases. I think for me, it's mainly around the promoting and education of the public in their in their diversity on what healthier options that they can take and I emphasize on education because it's too often than not when you're working in this space for so long it's very easy to assume that everyone knows because you're dealing with this every single day but when you go on the ground it's not the same it's not the same picture so I think for me right now public health is all about educating all about sharing information knowledge to different communities on how they can make healthier choices that can promote longevity and sustainability in their lives. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that definitely, yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I agree with that. It's different as well from what I've heard before, but it is, it's always interesting. I think I was picking up listening to you speak about your definition and just like generally with the work that you do is that for you and the other guests I've had is like for each, it sounds like, okay, there is general public health like language is what I'm like really yeah. hearing. <laughs> And it's also that even as somebody working in the field, right, it's like it's also interesting to hear when it, within different subfields, the language that people tend to like pick up or use or is like maybe normalized mm-hmm. that subset. So like <laughs> I like the use of your words around even your, yeah, like you mentioned like prevention, you mentioned like healthy choices, you mentioned lives, like they just like length and sustainability, um, or also like keywords that I've just highlighted. Or then even earlier when you were talking about the, um, you you called it menstrual health equity, which I, I mm-hmm. think is, uh, yeah. like, unpack that in a whole different episode. <laughs> and, 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 so too, cause I actually wanted to, I just want to say I forgot to add the equity part. Right. Of, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Can Sorry, you say the definition with the equity part? I just want to hear. Yeah. Okay, so just to add on, like, I think for me, public health, again, is now about 
equity mm. instead of trying to achieve health equality because it's not what's on the ground. And when I say equity, just to put more perspective, it's really being deliberate in understanding the community that you're serving, what their needs are, what their challenges are, and what solutions would work for them because the same solutions that would work for community A mm -hmm. are not the same that would work for community B. So I think there needs to be you know, emphasis on equity when we now talk of public health because issues around diversity and inclusivity are coming up now in this new space of uh, public health more than ever before. You know, we talk about uh, people living with disabilities and they can have a hospital next to them. They can have the best doctors next to them. But then uh, if they're physically impaired and then the hospital doesn't allow for that access of a person living with disabilities, then, you know, it's it doesn't make sense. It ceases to be public health, you know. So even around um, key populations, um, that discrimination that comes with trying to access uh, public health services, it does it if the hospital is there, but if the service is not one that is inclusive, that recognizes diversity, then it ceases to be a place where people can actually get the education and information about making healthy choices. So I think, again, now for me, public health is something that also focuses on the equity of the people, of the populations that you're serving and not trying to um, group individuals, group people, and just try to give them like a one size fits all, but specifically trying to tailored down and streamlined as per community to achieve health equity absolutely that's just like i was just like clapping as you were speaking like <laughs> it was like gold like just we'll paste that and put that on a poster <laughs> because you just like see a lot of gems and really is i feel like we got to the same point and i think in previous episodes as well when it comes to like personalization of like public health inter interventions and how you target how at its core public health should and does works towards, you know, supporting people who otherwise wouldn't be, right? Like including everybody uh, and ensuring that when we say everybody, all the other people are also included, which is, which tends to be like, you know, historically marginalized people or people who have um, difficulty with access and things like that. So um, it's really cool that you work with that, with such a, such a population and have been taking all that and like doing it in, in your work with Zizio. So thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, this has happened again. <laughs> I feel like we've had too, too much fun and now we're running out of time. So maybe we'll cut it short in terms of like the final list of questions. But can you maybe, so we've talked about your favorite things now, and we've defined what public health means to you based off of the work you do and your experience. I guess knowing all that you know now and having now having had those experience and able to being able to even define public health for yourself, let's do what advice you would give to a younger version of yourself or to other people with maybe a similar background to you or not who are also looking to be in the space or who might have similar interests to you who also want to be doing the cool like work that's cool like you're doing. <laughs> I, I think the best advice I can give is um, start with what you have. Start with where you're at because life is a funny way of unfolding and it's so easy to fold your hands when things are not going as planned. Especially in my case, I could have thrown in the towel um, so many times, but you know, I had to utilize what was there. I had to take advantage of an opportunity that, you know, now led me to be in this space. Now, even doing my master's in a space that I never thought I would. So I think um, starting with where you're at and knowing what you want, but also trying to take on challenges because sometimes, you know, in life, we 
we are presented with situations that are not aligning with where we want to go. But you can never know the true outcome of a challenge unless if you take it on and see it through. So I, I would just advise people listening to start with what you have, start with where you're at. And if you do the work diligently, if you're open to to learning um, as well, you know, there are always connections, especially health. Health is like it's everywhere <laughs> in construction, safety, health, mining. It's, it's everywhere. And I think that's the beauty of public health because it's something that we, we live with every day. We can't run away from it. So finding those connections and working towards that little space and that connection that you have can actually lead you to do greater things in um, in public health. Um, recently, when I was when I was looking to specialize in public health, mm-hmm. I didn't know now that we had health financing, <laughs> right, right? You know, uh-huh. and it's a branch of public health. So you can imagine if someone was, you know, into like accounting and stuff like that, it's it becomes easy to sort of like also then try and understand that field and try and get into it as well. So those those intersections are more alive than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny you're saying, oh, I just discovered health financing, but I'm like, yeah, but you know, you just broke down for us the manufacturing and the costing for this public health <laughs> And how it's like, you said, that's health financing. Like, well, it's not health financing, but like financing of public health intervention. Yeah. <laughs> you're right that so many skill sets can be useful in public health and that there, it's it's a field that offers, like you said, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. And there's so many pathways and ways that you can end up contributing to the field, which is also like one of my favorite things about public health and part of the reason why I started this podcast, right? So that people can learn and and hear from others about like their different backgrounds and how they also ended up, you know, falling in love with public health or working in public health and being able to do impact, impactful work like the work you're doing as well. So thank you for that. Uh, so you said start with where you are. You say know what you want, and it sounds not like you didn't say this, but it also sounds like just do the work and like whatever will come will come, right? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. We've definitely heard versions of that last piece, but yeah, you're right. Start with where you are, and um, you know, if you know what you want and kind of like figure out your passion, it will kind of just like slowly come together at some point. Even if at some point, like you said. You can be like, oh my gosh, am I going to get in? Or is this what I should <laughs> yeah. be doing? Or what exactly should I be doing? Like baby steps. And then you eventually get get somewhere. Yeah, no, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Oh my God, I learned so much today. <laughs> and I can't wait for people to listen to this episode. But just to wrap up, can you maybe, maybe highlight, is there anything you want to plug or share for people to hear? I know you've already mentioned, so it's called Digital <laughs> Initiative. Yeah. And you say they are available on uh, all platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. And then what else would you want to plug? Yeah. Um, I think just the, the socials. I don't know if I if I should say out the handles now or they're going to be put in, in the description. But just to shout them out. So it's just Diesel Safe Pad on mm-hmm. all social platforms. Okay. So where Diesel we try Safe. to yeah. mm-hmm. Diesel Safe Pad. So Diesel as in education. Mm-hmm. and then safe pad like safe and pad but it's one word all right yeah thanks for that okay so yeah if you can just share um the links i'll also then put it also i think just bringing back the global changes piece that you talked about uh okay. also put that in the episode notes as well but yeah thank you so much this has been really amazing thank you for being my guest this has been Otano public health chats with your host fiona and today 
we were hosting Crystal Wonzo, a public health worker and student. Thank you.